We're in a series that we've entitled simply The Gospel of John, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. We've come to meet Jesus. We're learning about Jesus so that we might trust and believe in Jesus. Believe who He is. Believe what He has said. And then that that belief would move to action. That we wouldn't just allow it to penetrate our heads, but that it would move to our hearts and to our hands and to our feet. That it would impact every aspect of our lives. And if you haven't been with us, we are in the part of John's storyline of Jesus where Jesus has been arrested. This is the morning of Good Friday, the day of Jesus' execution. In just a matter of hours, Jesus is going to go to the cross. He is going to take upon Him the burden of our sin and shame and die our death for us. But before He does it, He's going to experience a myriad of situations and scenarios that are going to take place. In the wee hours of Friday morning, he's already experienced two illegal trials. One at the house of Annas, and second at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest that year for the nation of Israel. In both of those, no witnesses are given, no charges are made, and no opportunity for any evidence to enter in. They are fraudulent trials. But the Jews know that they cannot put someone to death and they want Jesus put to death and they need Roman authority to do that. And so the Jews take Jesus in the early morning of Friday, Good Friday, to bring him before Pilate. The governor of all of Judea, he is the middle manager for the emperor himself because the nation of Israel is under the oversight leadership of the Roman Empire. And it's in this situation, it's in this moment, and conversation with the religious leaders and more namingly Pilate, that we are going to see what we need to learn from the text today. We don't know a lot about Pilate, but what we know about Pilate comes from his words. That's true many times in movies that we watch. Many times it's the love story or the action scene that that takes our breath away. But for other movies, it's a one-liner. It's a one-line statement that makes it memorable. In fact, some of these statements transcend the movie itself. Let me explain. Here's looking at you, kid. Many people know that line, but they don't know it comes from the black and white movie Casablanca. Another one that you may think of, if you build it, they will come. A line from the movie Field of Dreams. A line that I've heard in the business world, in the church world, and in all kinds of arenas. But it had to do with building a baseball field in the midst of an Iowa cornfield. Let's let's try another one. The next one, go ahead and turn uh, the slide. Life is like a box of chocolates. I made a joke of that. In fact, the reason why I even came to this as an opening illustration, I said in a local convenience store that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And the guy says, I love that motto. I don't know where it's from. I said, it's from Forrest Gump, the movie. A line that transcends the whole context of what's going on around it. And then one that's so appropriate for our day is Jack Nicholson when he asks the question, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth from a few good men. One-liners that transcend time and space. 
Pilate is going to give a one-liner this morning. In John chapter 18, he is going to ask this question. What is truth? And that question is way bigger than Pilate could have ever imagined. That statement, that question is going to transcend anything Pilate could have ever thought. That question is going to be a question that for millennia would be answered with the same answer. But in the last 30 or so years, after millennia of humanity believing the truth about truth, that is now brought into question. This question, what is truth? Now we don't know if Pilate was asking it, in a scoffing way, or if he was a seeker seeking understanding. But today we live in a time and in an age where that question seemingly is left unanswered. And really not unanswered, but the answer is we don't know truth. One British artist put it this way when she said, what is truth? There's Pilate's question. Truth doesn't really exist. Who is going to judge whether my experience of an incident is more valid than yours? No one can be trusted to be the judge of that. Let's hold that on the screen for a moment. I want you to know there's probably not a better definition by the world's definitions on this issue of what is truth and what's right before your eyes. The world today says truth is all relative. It's subjective. What you may say is true may be true for you, but it's not true for me. I want you to know today, and I don't mean to be bombastic in any way, but I believe this to be true. This has massive ramifications and implications on us as a society, us and our governments, our view and identity of who we are, and it will shake humanity for generations to come. If there is no truth, then we've got a problem. And we toy around with this and we play around with this, but I want you to know, and listen, I want to say this with all honesty, the idiocy of making that sort of statement. You want to build a house. Do you tell the builder there's no truth? A foot can be to you whatever you want it to be. You can do whatever you want with the electric. You can do whatever you want with the plumbing. It really doesn't matter. No, you say there are standards of truth. There are are things that must be affirmed. And yet... When it comes to our being, when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to all manner of things, we say there's no truth. To say there is no truth is to destroy the very fabric of who we are as a society. Anarchy will become the day where there is no truth. Now, as we toy around with this proposition... That there is no truth to that question that Pilate is asking. The Christian has a problem. Because the Christian in a world where the world says there is no truth. The Christian recognizes that there is a truth. And here is the truth this morning. And we're going to see it over and over again. The truth is this. In our passage, six times, you are going to see Jesus and Pilate talk about a subject matter. And that subject matter is king and kingdom. 
And the subject matter speaks to the answer of what Jesus is going to say. He says, I am truth. And here is the proposition that everyone must base their truth upon. And here it is, Village Bible Church. Jesus is King. And the very basis of whether you believe that or not is going to send you in two very, very different trajectories in this life and in the life to come. Jesus says, I've come into this world. The whole purpose of my being is this, to make manifest that I am the King of kings and I am the Lord of lords. I am in charge. And though you look around and the present seems like I'm handcuffed, it seems like I'm under your oversight and I'm under your jurisdiction, I want to make it abundantly clear, I am the one in charge. Dutch reformer Abraham Kuyper put it this way when he said, there's not one square inch of all of creation of which Jesus doesn't cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Jesus is king. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is the one who determines what we're going to do, what we're going to say. And we are either going to live in his jurisdiction or he will send us away one day. And so what is truth? The Christian says, the truth is this. Jesus has declared, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Jesus, King Jesus, is the way we get to God. And when we affirm that truth, Jesus says this, that truth will set you and I free. That's why I like what Vincent Chung says with regards to this worldview. He says, within the Christian worldview, Scripture is the sole and ultimate test for truth. God has given us a system of truth through the Scriptures. Since the Bible is God's revelation, it can never be wrong on any issue that it addresses. A thorough knowledge of understanding of the Scripture then is our ultimate safeguard against the satanic deception of every kind. Listen to me. The devil takes what God has created and he counterfeits it. And what the devil's trying to do is build his own kingdom. And he's built it on a whole proposition of lies. And some of us, and of course the world, are buying into those lies. And it's a very, very sad thing. Yeah. We've got to be careful as a church and as a people that we don't fall for the lies. So Jesus stands and He declares... And John records, I am king, follow me. What we see in our text are three groups of people or individuals who look at Jesus, who have heard his kingship and say, I'm going to leave it. I don't want it. And what we will see is what happens when we do it. So let's quickly go through these three things. First of all, when we don't buy into and believe and trust that Jesus is king, what inevitably happens is we will choose the wrong religious practice. Understand this, whether you're in this room or watching online, you can be altogether religious and be an enemy of God. The Pharisees bring Jesus. Early in the morning, the Pharisees bring Jesus to Pilate. 
And the text tells us, look in your Bibles, the text tells us that when they bring Jesus to Pilate, they stay out of Pilate's house as not to defile themselves because it is the time of Passover. I want you to know that what the Pharisees should have been doing is they should have been praising and worshiping God because Jesus was who they were looking for. They scoured the Scriptures waiting for the opportunity for Messiah to come. And the Pharisees now have Jesus right before them. And not only do they not see Him for who He is, they know who He says He is, And they want him dead. Not in prison. They could have done that on their own. Not flogged. They could have done that on their own. Notice the reason why they bring Jesus to Pilate per their own words is we can't kill him. Only you can. So we need you, Rome, to kill Jesus because it's not our jurisdiction to do so. They want Jesus dead dead. How can religious people be such enemies of God? The reason why is when we put our faith and trust in religion and not Jesus Christ, what we do is elevate ourselves to be king. So Jesus is here. He's in front of us. The King of kings and Lord of lords is there. And they say, He doesn't meet our criteria. For three years now, they've walked around with clipboards behind Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't do this, and Jesus didn't do that, and Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus is failing their inspection. Well, Jesus was perfect. And so what was Jesus failing? Jesus was failing in their assessment, which is what man-made religion is. It is man's assessment of how person or people get right with God. And so man becomes king. Jesus becomes a nuisance. So notice some things about man-made religion. Number one, man-made religion will make you a hypocrite. It will make you a hypocrite. Every once in a while, I'll see on Facebook, someone that I know will say, the church is full of hypocrites. And I would agree with them. Because much much of the churches around are people following man-made religion. And man-made religion will always make you a hypocrite. A relationship with Jesus Christ is, Jesus is king, I'm filthy, I'm a sinner. There's no hypocrisy there. I'm lost without Jesus. Man-made religion says, I've got a list of do's and don'ts that make me right with God and make you on the outs with God. Here's the quintessential picture of man-made religion. Jesus doesn't pass their test. There's a problem when Jesus can't pass your test of holiness. And so here Jesus is. He fails their test. And you say, okay, these guys must be really, really upright guys. Well, they are. They will not even enter Pilate's home for the sake of not being defiled during Passover. There is a clause within the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament that says during times of festivals and feasts, to be ceremonially clean, one must stay out of the house of a Gentile. One of the 613 commandments that are recorded in the Old Testament. 
And these guys, because they're lock stop with it, they say, we can't do it. We're going to stay out here. Pilate comes to them. Here's the problem. The Bible also says, do not murder. The Bible also says, do not shed innocent blood. They are holding to their rules, all the while giving up on rules that they don't think are altogether all that important. You see, that's what makes us hypocrites. We say these things are important when make someone holy, and the things that we don't agree with, we leave over here. We hold people really, really accountable to these things. Why? Because we've got these things in order. These aren't problems for us. And so we make sure we preach on those things, but the things that we struggle with, we keep by the wayside. These individuals want to be ceremonially clean. All the while, they are rotten on the inside. Jesus would say this. Jesus would say this when He says, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside, defiled on the inside. Now, Part of the ceremonial cleaning that goes on, we did today. We don't have a temple, and we don't have the Mosaic Law where, where that's an issue. But, but looking at you fine people, I'm going to believe all of you did something. Because either that or you look a whole lot better when you get up than I do. And here's, here it is. At some point today, all of you walked by a mirror. All of you looked in the mirror to make sure that you were culturally, ceremonially clean. As a bald man, I have to shave my head because there's still hair there, by the way. I know there's been question about that. I'm bald by choice. (laughs) I will ask Amanda... Or my children, I usually ask Amanda though, because my children lie to me. (laughs) I will say to Amanda, hey, how does it look back here? Why? Because I don't have rear view mirrors that cover that acreage. It's the back 40 back there. And I recognize that I may have missed some spots and I don't want to be culturally unclean in the sense of I don't want to become a laughingstock. I want the outside to look good. We all came to church looking good. Now listen to me. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good on the outside. Don't get me wrong. God says He wants us to look good on the outside. However, the problem with man-made religion is it focuses in on the outside while neglecting the inside. So these guys are as rotten, filthy scoundrels as there can be, but they look good on the outside. Some of us are worried more about how others will see us than how God sees us. We're more worried about putting our lives together so that our neighbor sees that our lives are put together and we're sinning like crazy and out of control with where God sees us. There's hypocrisy in that. When you care more about your outside and outward appearance of holiness than you do your inward appearance, you will always be viewed as a hypocrite and rightly so. And these guys are ready to put Jesus to death, shed innocent blood, but they won't dare 
make themselves unclean by walking into the house of a Gentile. Number two, man-made religion will be dishonest. We won't be honest with it. Pilate asks, notice in the text, Pilate asks, why are you here? Why are you waking me up early in the morning? You know I don't like early mornings. Why are we here? We've got a problem. What's the problem? you got to deal with this criminal. Well, what has he done? Well, why would you think we would bring him if he wasn't a criminal? Do you notice they don't answer the question? They can't answer the question. In fact, what they say is a lie. They say he's a literally a criminal. And in the tense that the Greek is using, of which John is speaking, the tense is that he is a criminal right now in the present. We caught him in the act, and if we don't do something about it, he's going to create a problem. Well, that's not true. They had to get one of Jesus' own to betray him so they could find the time and place where he's at. He's in a garden praying with his disciples. No commotion is being made. He's articulated last week in the text that he's done everything in public. No witnesses are brought and no crime is committed or, or attributed to Jesus. And so what these people have to do is they have to connive. They have to put together through manipulation how their charge against Jesus is going to work. Man-made religion is all about manipulation. Man-made religion is all about working it into a certain way and putting the right light on it so that it looks holy and pure. These guys got nothing on Jesus. And here's probably the worst thing about man-made religion. It hinders us from getting close to Jesus. Jesus is right there. This is what they have been hoping, wishing, and dreaming for. The opportunity to see Messiah, the anointed one. And he's right in front of them. And what have they done? They've cuffed him. And they've scoffed at him. And they've punched him in the face so far. And they are going to let the Romans torture the anointed one and put him on a cross. You can be, because you've built a religion of your own making, you can be so close to Jesus and yet so far away. And could it be in this place this morning that King Jesus is being preached and proclaimed? He's being sung about. He's being announced to everyone. And you're here and you're in the building, but you're far from God. That is religion and religion will only get you one place and that's hell they didn't want to believe the truth how about Pilate Pilate shows us that not only do we go down the wrong religious practice as the chief priests and Pharisees did but without that truth we will commit to the wrong pursuit enter Pilate Pilate the governor of uh, Judea, the Roman middle manager under the direct appointment of Caesar himself. Pilate would serve from 26 AD to 37 AD. This is 33 AD. Pilate's got about four more years of leadership. We don't know much about Pilate. We've got less than a half a chapter of scripture that even has Pilate in it. Here in the Gospel of John, there's not much written about him. But history talks about Pilate. And what it tells us is this. Pilate was a lousy leader. 
He was a lousy leader in a couple ways. Number one, and this is going to be really important as we see the narrative of what Pilate does, Pilate would give threats, but he was not given to action. So Pilate would say, if you do this, then I'm going to do that, and that would never take place. And so rebellions would rise up, and the reason why the Jewish people would rebel against Pilate is they knew he gave idle threats. Number two, Pilate was such a lousy governor, mismanagement was the editorial page of the day in the Jewish times. And his mismanagement of projects was so bad that he would have to go to theft and he would send his men in to steal from the coffers of the temple so as to get the money he needs because of the mismanagement of overspending or misspending money for the projects that were needed. As a result of this, historians tell us, secular historians say, that... The emperor of the time, Tiberius, gave an ultimatum to him that if he makes any mistakes, he's out. And if you don't know about Roman politics, when you're out, it doesn't mean forced retirement. It means forced death. And so Pilate's got some real big concerns. He's got some real big issues. And we believe, if we put the chronicling of this right, that that ultimatum was given sometime about a year or two before this interaction with Jesus. So here enters Jesus. And Pilate's got a problem. Now Pilate is going to have an audience with Jesus, the greatest experience and opportunity that anybody could ever have, and it sure seems like Pilate can't get rid of Jesus fast enough. His interactions are quick and to the point. He wants to wash his hand of Jesus. He says later in chapter 19, he wants Jesus out of here. And the reason why is twofold. Pilate doesn't have time for Jesus because of two things. Write it down. Number one, he is distracted by other things. And number two, he seeks to protect his own kingdom. So as we have Jesus coming, and Jesus has come into this place, and Jesus has announced to us as a people, I am king. You are having audience with Jesus right now through his Holy Spirit, and your response is either, yes, Jesus, you are king, I bow down and I worship you and I order my life according to your kingdom, or I'm too busy to listen. Pilate seemingly is too busy to listen. He is preoccupied and distracted by other things. Might it be some of you this morning are far from God because you're preoccupied with other things. That Jesus has become a nuisance. He's ruined your schedule. He's ruined your timing. He's ruined what your plans were for the day. Some of you, and listen, I, I know I'm there every Sunday. Some of you are saying in your heart and mind, get on with it, Tim, so I can get on with my day. 
Let's move on with this. Enough about Jesus. Enough of all of this. I'm here because my wife says I have to be here, or my husband, or my parents. I'm here because it looks good on my holiness resume. But let's get on with it. I'm distracted. Some of you have moved on already and are already on to the donuts and dogs. Let's get there. I hope the second service didn't eat everything. We're on to your day and festivities as fathers and family. Like Pilate, we can be all together distracted by a great many things. And all the while, when Jesus shows up, He gets in the way. Let's move on. But even more important than just simply distractions is this. Pilate was distracted. And the reason why he was distracted because he was more worried about his kingdom than Christ's kingdom. And can I say this with all love and sincerity? Some of us don't want Jesus to be king because if Jesus is king, then you and I aren't. And some of us are grabbing a hold of our lives right now and we're saying, this is my life. This is my home. This is my car. This is my pocketbook and checkbook. This is my dreams. This is my family. This is it. This is my kingdom. Pilate had this little kingdom amidst a bigger worldly kingdom. And he said, I can't control the rest of the world, but I can control this. And some of you are white-knuckling it right now, trying to hold your kingdom together. And you're weary, and you're burdened, because you were never intended to be the king. And you're holding on to something, thinking you're the mom who's trying to hold it all together, and you're anxious, and you're worried, and why? You were never intended to be king. Dad, you're lording it over your children, beating them down because you want to be king and you're wondering why nobody cares about you or loves you or respects you. You were never intended to be king. Kids, you were never intended to be king. And so Jesus is there and Jesus, King Jesus comes and he says to Pilate and he says to the religious leaders and he says to you and I, all who are weary of trying to be king, I come to give you rest. And so we hand over our kingdom. We hand over the keys of our kingship and we do what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all that you're worried about in your little kingdom will be added unto you. Pilate wanted to be king. And some of us in this place want to be king. And we are weary and we are burdened because we were never intended to be kings. We were intended to be subjects within the kingdom of God. Verse 38 through 40 gives us one more example and I'll close. Here's the greatest do-over ever given. Pilate is going to do the unthinkable. Pilate is so selfish to hold his kingdom. He says, listen, I don't find any error in this guy. I find no crimes within this guy. This guy should be set free. And I'm going to set him free. And it's that time of Passover, I'm going to set him free. And the people say, no, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. 
Barabbas, who's the insurrectionist. Barabbas, who's the treasonous. Barabbas, who is the terrorist. Barabbas, who is the robber. Everything that is said about a Barabbas, both in secular and biblical history, is all bad. Everything that is said about Jesus is all good. The crowd says we would rather have Jesus killed and Barabbas set free. When Jesus isn't your king, when you do not affirm that truth, listen to me, church, you will always condemn the wrong person. And so the sinners of the world, with one voice, say, Jesus is the problem. I'm not. And though you and I should be condemned... Though you and I should stand in condemnation under the wrath and judgment of God, we point to Jesus and we say, Jesus is the problem. So let's put Jesus to death so that we can be king. But here's the amazing thing of what God's plan was. Jesus laid down His life so that through the hands of sinful man, he might win us back to Himself. So, let me just show you one more thing. And the timestamp is really important. At the beginning of the passage, notice, they would not enter Pilate's house because it is Passover. Pilate says at the end of the passage, because it's Passover, I will let one of your prisoners free, trying to give Jesus an out. Passover. Twice, beginning and end of this passage, sandwiched between those two slices of bread of Passover is this whole interaction. Why? Passover, John is reminding us that God's judgment is at hand. Passover, the celebration that God's judgment came into the world of Egypt. And God said this truth. My judgment is coming. You don't have to experience my judgment if you will believe my words. If you will believe that I am king and that my words are true, then put blood of a lamb on your doorpost and the angel of death will pass over. And so on this Passover, God says again, I am king and I will have jurisdiction of rebellion of, against rebellion in my kingdom and judgment is coming but if you will believe my words of truth then by faith you will say God you are king I am not and by the blood of Jesus I need him so that your judgment will pass over me and by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you and I who believe Jesus to be the truth are set free and are made whole and are made holy. And that is what King Jesus does. King Jesus, listen to me, is the greatest king. King Jesus is the most benevolent king. King Jesus is the most gracious king. He is the most merciful king. That all who have been opposed to his kingship, Jesus in his patience gives you yet another opportunity, a do-over for his judgment to pass over you. But it must be received by faith. Is Jesus your king? And if he's not, good luck, 
because you were never intended to rule and reign as king. And you, listen to me very carefully, will fail. But by the grace of King Jesus, He has come to free you from sin and to set you free through His truth. Amen?